Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. With us today is Dr. Richard Moore. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Lisa, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, we're going to be talking about the future of metabolic health, um, which some may not understand, which is what we're going to dive into. But you're a naturopathic physician. You specialize in metabolic health and the performance that can be managed as a result of metabolic health. Um, you wrote a book in 2014 called The Blood Code, which was about the subtitle of Unlocking the Secrets of Your Metabolism, which is really blossomed, I think, into something else, which is um, uh, quite quite cohesive community for fighting obesity, type 2 diabetes, and some of you know these other metabolic problems. Um, but we'll get into all of that. Um, you live in Southern Maine, um, which is a place near and dear to my heart. Um, and um, I think, you know, as a practicing physician, uh, I'm just going to launch into, as you were saying before, we all dive into these niches or build these bigger towers in, in specializations. Yours is metabolic health. So what is metabolic health? Um, metabolic health is, is the way in which our body is... Um, is adapted to better meet the demands of performance and recovery. So whether it's sort of a supply and demand curve, you know, I, every now and then I might, I might branch into little economics analogies and somebody who is economically minded will just start laughing at what I say, but you know, there, there is a, a very simple supply chain. You know, our body works on debt and recovery constantly. It is not a zero-sum game, though. So it's not a, a single account. So our metabolism is this constant game our body is playing by creating new tissues, uh, complex structures out of simple structures, which takes energy to do that. So that is called anabolic activity, where we're building bone structure, we're building bone mass, we're we're building muscle mass. Um, we're building brain mass. Uh, these are all anabolic activities. Catabolic activities are when we break down complex structures um, with the release of heat and energy. Um, very simple. So we can take a glucose, a glycogen molecule in our muscles as a performing athlete and release that during an event. And now we have lots of glucose available. And that glucose breaks down um, you know, through the ATPase pathways and the metabolic pathways, and those mitochondria will get energy from them, producing heat. A lot of what you're talking about sounds to me uh, as a very, very lay person in everything that is medicine and health related. Um, usually, I'm pretty good on the topics that I get to explore. On this one, I'm going to be uh, a lay person, uh, definitively. But I think what it sounds like is sports. Um, you know, I, I think about athletes and when you break down glucose or what you're eating and how that, you know, you think about marathoners the night before a race uh, and, and what they want to consume or what their their recovery time is, as you say. Um, how is metabolic health tested? Um, that's a good question. So in in performance and athletics, of course, the test can be the stopwatch. The <laughs> test can be, you know, some of the performance aspects we're trying to expect out of somebody. Um 
if somebody isn't tapping into their energy resources effectively enough, um, they'll, they'll bonk. Let's use that word as a scientific truth. Um, uh, on the other hand, they may not re have recovered from a demanding athletic uh, practice um, at another time um, where they w didn't get that anabolic rebuild after a very catabolic workout. Again, I'm using those, I'll use those terms a little bit just to just to always remind us that metabolism has these two sides and they're interplaying constantly. Um, so in, in, in athletics, it's it's right up front and center. So when someone's really at high performance, it's all about their anabolic recovery from their catabolic activities, especially those endurance athletes, people that are doing an activity that lasts more than two hours. They're so catabolic. They've broken down so much of their structures that their body has a great deal of rebuilding that needs to take place before the next practice or training or event. Um, so people that are highly uh, conditioned, even in great uh, training um, management, they will still take several weeks off after a marathon before considering another training for another event. It, they don't do this. <laughs> yes, they don't do this sort of weekend warrior that I have some 40 and 50 something friends uh, around me that they'll do a half Ironman and 10 days later they're doing a marathon with yeah. one of their kids. And uh, the worst thing is uh, I have just too many stories of that ending up in the hospital with multiple clotting events, mm. you know, where the fibrinogen was just so high in the body, which I'm touching on an answer that. Well, that was a very long answer to that question. <laughs> how do you measure for this? And that's exactly it. Some of those inflammation tests we can run to see whether someone is um, unrecovered or excessively training. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, these these can very often be simple blood tests. Well, maybe not simple. They're not the kind of thing a general GP is going to do because <laughs> athletes make up less than 1% of their practice base. So most most physicians aren't going to be familiar with the demands of that Ironman competitor, let's say. But uh, but someone with type 2 diabetes, for instance, is is treated similarly in the metabolic health space. It's a, it's a, it is a simple blood test that's not necessarily so simple. And maybe some other things like, you know, I don't know if it's if you, you talk a lot in your book about um, skin fold caliper measurements and things like that measure body fat and things like this, I, I, I'm gathering. Correct. We can we can see and that's that. You know, if somebody's in a perfect world, if someone's using skinfold calipers, and I can move away from my mic for a second. <laughs> I, lo I love when show and tell happens on, on the podcast. It's I'm usually not far from a pair of calipers somewhere, <laughs> but if I were to measure someone's uh, tricep, yeah, um, whatever that number is in millimeters should be about what their hip is. Okay. Sort of a slightly forward of lateral over that hip bone, the little love uh -huh. handle that's uh, on top of the uh -huh. the bony um, side of the hip. Um, the one that grows that, as we get older. <laughs> yeah, it, it, sometimes it changes a little bit. Most people don't properly evaluate without this where their body fat is. 99% mm -hmm. of people in the office, when I pull this thing out, they go, oh my God, it's all going to be at the middle. And it rarely is. Yeah. Sometimes it's higher on the arms and higher on the back. In which case, they're they're more deconditioned. It's not so much overeating. It's that I need to get that person training better, um, getting better fitness. So 
these things are a very simple tool or whatever, $10, $15 online. And I have a $300 pair that's glass encased and <laughs> this very cool thing that I learned from, you know, graduate school. But uh, I never use it. I use this one because my eyes can read the millimeter <laughs> better. Prax practical things. Very well, practical. When, when we were kind of going back and forth about set, sussing out this conversation, you said metabolic medicine uh, is an overly popular term often used to promote cosmetic weight loss and carries a stigma that's related to that kind of medicine. And you felt like metabolic health is actually what matters. So talk to me a little bit about the importance of metabolic health to humans. That's good. So I think the um, uh, for, for your listeners, uh, Lisa, it's, so many people are online. And if you just type in anything about metabolism, metabolic, you, you usually don't even have to get past metaba. <laughs> and you're going to find something about the 10 best metabolic foods, uh, met speed up your metabolism. And it's always how to get a faster metabolism as though that is the overarching goal for everybody. <laughs> um, and, uh, Far from it. Uh, obviously, <laughs> metabolic health is the interplay and the balance between that rebuild and breakdown structures. And many people aren't just building too much. Maybe it's, uh, you know, somebody has osteoporosis, in which case they're not building enough. And the data we have on people over the age of 70, when you see weight loss in someone older than 70, and especially older than 75, they're basically at triple the risk of dementia onset. It's, you know, the very condition that most, you, you interview a physician, that's one of the first things they put up there. ALS is certainly there, but, you know, dementia is right below it. Thing. I, I'd want to, at all costs, avoid that. And it's interesting that weight loss is associated with a more rapid progression in that direction. Um, it is. It's, it's deconditioning. It looks like fat in the musculature is associated with dementia onset. That's a research topic I saw come across my desk uh, this Monday. Mm. Um, it's not just weight loss. It's that deconditioned state. So um, I think it's very interesting. Actually, Yeah. Increasing your metabolism to improve weight loss. I, I have to really assess each person to figure out whether that's the goal. And I, I know so many listeners would quickly say, well, of course, that's the goal for me. Yeah. But I would beg to charge them that uh, fifty percent of them are wrong, and yeah. I'm probably underestimating. It's interesting. I mean, okay, and so I want to talk. I want to get to like where your research has taken you because it's actually pretty fascinating. But mm. be beyond you at the moment, Richard, like what is happening in the world of metabolic health these days? We're kind of building towards the future of metabolic health. Like, what's happening? Or have there been any like major innovations? Is this like? It, obviously, in the course of your career, I mean, you went to Temple and you have a degree from the National University of Natural Medicine. Like, you've been doing this for a very long time. Like, there's been an evolution. What's happening right now that you're you're kind of excited about or nervous about? Oh, good question. I, I think I'm excited about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, my, my curiosity doesn't stop. Um when I first started uh, in practice, that was 30 years ago, and it was still pretty novel for me to tell somebody, only eat two and a half times a day. Do not eat between the meals. And they'll say, well, what about my kids? I'm like, same thing. Yeah. Teenagers don't need to eat 
free snacks. That's just stupid. You know, it didn't exist in the human culture until America came along in 1970s, you know, and we went low fat. It just just didn't exist. So I was, I was saying things that were very simple back then. Um, You know, it's quite interesting now that we have this common term. Anyone who's uh, hacked anything in health related stuff online has knows the term intermittent fasting. And we've done so much, so much research about the intermittent fasting, which isn't done properly in most cases. Most people get into a pattern of just skipping breakfast every day, but that's not intermittent. Intermittent means sometimes it's happening. So you kind of have to sneak up and steal a meal from your week um, and not replace it. And you're kind of adapting your body by tricking it um, to force a little extra catabolism in those four hours or six hours to become what we call fat adapted. I think those terms that have come up more in the past 10 years, intermittent fasting, fat adaptation, the studies that are done on the gut and uh, metabolism, uh, the studies on sleep and metabolism. We have so much of an emphasis on our quality of sleep and our depth of sleep. Um, And then, of course, cold plunging and maybe breath with it. We can go into the Wim Hof folks and talk about the metabolic effect of, you know, 50 minutes in 60 degree water or or maybe seven minutes in 39 degree water. And um, these things are all very interesting. I love the research. It's it, There's stuff being studied and the human effects of it is great. What I'm And that leads into what I'm concerned about, which is how do we organize all this cool stuff for one person? Like for, for you, for mm-hmm. me. For, for the listener. You're talking about personalizing it to some degree, making it relevant. Yeah, exactly. And every everyone who's out there is sort of enthusiastic about their thing. You know, Dr. Fung is all into his intermittent fasting and um, Wim Hof is into his cold plunging and his breathing and someone else will do sleep. And, um, you know, the, and everyone thinks that's it. Yeah. And the fact is, there's, this is really a milieu that needs to be put together into an ingredient list. And usually the best things that come out of a kitchen are simple. Yeah. There aren't a lot of ingredients. No, so you have to figure holistic. out. They, they cover all the food groups and nutrition and they're holistic. Right. So, so how do we each find those individuals? Will it be uh, everyone does a genetic test and then a test panel and there's your answer? Well, genetic testing only links uh, maybe a 15% risk ratio to you. Like, it still doesn't answer 85% of what likely will help you. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm, I, I'm not quite ready for the AI to be giving us the answers. I think we're all going to have to be a little bit curious and um, do some trial and error in ourselves to find oh. which of these combinations work best for us. The curiosity and the not having like a, you know, a silver bullet is or a single answer is is important. And and your work coming back to the 2014 book you wrote called The Blood Code has now become a clinic, a web resource and a community that's really focused on, I, I guess, exactly this point, which is figuring out how to use metabolic health and indicators for your own. I think you call it taking responsibility for disease recovery and true wellness. Um how does this actually play into the future of wellness, um, in in your opinion, and and why you're kind of investing the tail end of your career to this? Well, I think the um, 
Maybe not the tail end, but the yes, the, you can. I get that. I get the, it. The, the later stages. <laughs> it's it's not the beginning. Um, it's a uh, we don't call even cardiovascular disease in in much of the research now. It's called cardiometabolic disease. You know, as though the the lipid problems that cause plaques and um, you know disruption of blood flow through the coronary arteries is actually part of a metabolic problem, not just a cardiac issue. Um, so look, being able to personalize our our medical care, being able to personalize our health and wellness paths, to me is um, just our wildly important goal. We have to have the right questions. We can't be stuck on preconceived notions like the person with the fastest metabolism wins. You know, if we're still stuck in the 1960s with Twiggy saying, that's what I should look like, you know, sorry, she's that was just a fabrication for a moment. That was Hollywood. Um, that is not truth. It is, uh, it is not our health. So my goal is to help have people um, use metrics that really help them find what their real health is. And if that means they're not going to be doing the things they thought were so good for them. Someone mm -hmm. who says, I run 50 miles a week. I'm really healthy. And uh, I run lab tests on it and I see their triglycerides are 180 and their HDL looks like someone who's been sitting on a couch for the past six months. I'm going to say, what you're doing isn't working. Yeah. Like internally, you don't look healthy. Yeah. So I think those are a liberating way of asking a better question. Um, I love that. A liberating way of asking a better question. It's, it's quite profound, actually. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I know that this is public knowledge now, but last year you were at a pretty young age diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. That's right. We opened um, this season of Future of XYZ in January with our new partner, Rhode Island PBS, with um, the Michael J. Fox Foundation's chief of staff talking about the future of Parkinson's disease. Um, there are lots of things that have come up as a result, but obviously as a medical doctor, uh, you would imagine that you are better equipped than anyone to kind of deal with this diagnosis. And also in the naturopathic way, you're addressing metabolic health issues and cardio metabolic versus cardiovascular issues, you would imagine that maybe there's something that's happening here. What, what's been your experience so far? And, uh, um, with, with being, you know, having Parkinson's, but also as a medical doctor looking to solve, uh, personal health problems. Right. Um, you're, you're certainly bringing up that, that thing where, you know, I'm, I'm on the train track and I'm, I'm following a certain path and, I didn't realize a train could come from this direction, you know, so Parkinson's was right. quite a surprise. What's, what's important about any chronic condition, you know, whether it's a chronic neurodegenerative condition like Parkinson's or whether it's someone else's chronic condition of, you know, a cardiovascular or a lung condition, the important thing is to just, you have to be as healthy as possible in all the surrounding realms, you know, comorbidities is the word we use in medicine. And it's a terrible word. Which we all, like. of course, learned a lot about during COVID. Yes, of course. And then we all got that word to me. I'm like, all you have to do is say comorbidity and everyone's going to go, I don't want that. I don't want that. Which means you've got to make sure, you know, if you have, you know, obesity and type two diabetes and Parkinson's, it's really not good. You know, you're going to have good nerves degenerating. And I have to have like new nerve pathways form by doing tricky things like, you know, pinning my good arm to my shirt and boxing with only my tremoring arm. Wow. Um, so I'm, 
I'm doing all kinds of things to try to create a neuroplastic uh, response in my body, which I think requires an extraordinarily ex extraordinary level of health and conditioning in other realms. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to have looked at this and I continue to do lab tests on myself, just digging in all those directions of how are my hormone numbers? How is my health? How is my metabolism? Do I look internally as fit as I feel externally? Um, it's, it's, it's remarkable actually. I mean, to, to be able to take all the work that you've done in this career of yours and then apply it in this very personalized way to yourself and to know what it's supposed to be and to also recognize that you're only going to be able to control so much to your point. Correct. Yeah. It's a, it's a challenging condition. Anyone out there who knows somebody with Parkinson's or has it, you know, I think the Michael J. Fox foundation has been great for all of us in, in pushing funding for uh, a lot of research, um, both cure and diagnostics and, uh, the Davis Finney Foundation I've been a part of in Colorado, and they're a great resource for living well with Parkinson's. And no surprise, the founders of that organization are both um, Olympic medalists. Uh, so they have that approach of uh, let's build a team, mm -hmm. let's set up a training regimen, and let's create the support we need to succeed. And it's very, right. very sort of metabolic performance oriented, <laughs> um, which of course, drew me in right away uh, exactly you're like oh i know i know something about that i know these people already yeah it's fascinating so as we kind of come to the end of our time a little bit I, you know we're the future of xyz here so i always i always ask kind of the same fundamental end questions and and, and i think we're looking ahead in more short term especially in the realm of medicine and health which is in the next five to ten years let's say what do you think are the major both opportunities as well as challenges for metabolic health being adopted in the way in which you'd like to see it adopted? Hmm. Um, you know, part of it is my, uh, 10 years ago, I was very excited for the future of um, simple testing that could be done at home that gives people answers to those, like uh, not just a glucose at home, like the continuous glucose monitors people can wear, um, but an insulin test as well on a quick blot pad, and I can get a quantification of insulin. Um, and it's remarkable, actually, how far away those things are. Mm. You know, I think I was I was actually pretty excited about. Um, Fair enough. I won't, I won't, yeah, I wasn't going to mention the name. <laughs> I'm like, the I'm company like, in Palo Alto. That week, so. <laughs> I was I was ready to send them money. Thank God. <laughs> um, so. Uh, but it's it's quite clear that really, really, we're really far away from that. So so I think part of my future, I would have had a different answer 10 years ago than I have now. It's a little bit more that um, I think we still have to do the hard work of getting a going to a lab, getting blood drawn, having it spun. I think there's there's ways of getting these tests done directly for people. Um, you know, I link to that on the blood code resource, but it's. Just because um, if I were to order some panel, let's say, at my local hospital, um, if you got the retail price for that panel, it'd be like $5,000 worth of testing. Right. And you can often get that done for 300 to $400 yeah. if you pay up front through an online broker. So it used to be, you know, if we went back 30 years, online direct testing was done for STDs. Yeah. And it was done because before Affordable Care Act, people would be denied coverage if they had a pre-existing condition. Right. So they would run tests that their doctor never saw. Right. 
um, and check their blood sugars. They didn't want anyone to know they had diabetes. It's amazing how many people got tests like that done. So now, of course, we don't have it for that reason, but we have it for an incredibly cost-effective way of running some of these tests. So I would hope in the future more people are empowered to you know, ask those questions, which is basically what a blood test is, yeah. um, and find someone to help interpret their the answers that are important for them. And 20 years out, last question, what's your greatest hope for this field? Um, that we better understand what our metabolic goals are, you know, that we're not so stuck in everyone who's 30 and 40 and, you know, perimenopausal women, whether they're, they're not just pummeled with increase your metabolism and lose weight and, um, get a shot here at the same time. Um, you know, and I, I joke about that, but all the, all the offices in Maine that say metabolic on them are generally weight loss clinics. Um, mm -hmm. and they're still using amphetamines, one tablet with each meal. Well, um, you really? know, just silly, silly approaches, um, seem arcane to me. Like didn't, weren't women dying from that in yes. aerobics classes? Um, so I, I would hope that we're not stuck there and we really see metabolic health as the, you know, how are we in our fittest condition and really well recovered in a way that, you know, we wake up each day kind of feeling like um, we've got this. We're ready. I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a better way of uh, looking towards the future. Wouldn't that be nice? Because with everything else coming, yeah, if our health can help us feel like we got it, that's, that's, a, that's a good place. Um, Dr. Richard Moore, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the future of metabolic health on Future of XYZ. It's a fascinating conversation that obviously we've barely scraped the surface of. It's a pleasure, Lisa. I would be back anytime and uh, I look forward to uh, any conversation we might have. So thank you. Thank you. And for everyone uh, watching and listening, make sure you check out thebloodcode.com, uh, which is where you can find all sorts of resources that Dr. Moore has put together. Um, if you are watching, make sure you listen to Future of XYZ anywhere you get your podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can also watch at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ if you are listening and you didn't know that. And for anyone, please make sure that you follow us on Instagram at Future of XYZ. We will be back in two weeks time. Thank you again, Dr. Moore and everyone else. See you soon.